Welcome to our very first book reading here on Farringdon Radio. Our first story is by the author Paul Cornell, uh, who, as many of you know, got very strong connections with Farringdon here. Uh, we've interviewed him once or twice on the show. Uh, been involved with writing uh, scripts for Doctor Who and Holby and Coronation Street, etc., and many other things. And uh, he came into the studio a couple of weeks ago to record his book, The Sensible Folly. The Sensible Folly was written uh, last year in preparation, well, as a fundraiser really, for the Farringdon Folly Trust. And this book can be purchased in around town, tourist information office, and if you went onto the website for the Farringdon Folly Trust, you'll be able to purchase it there as well. But he recorded the show, so it's the author himself who's here doing the, uh, uh, doing the reading, which is uh, wonderful to hear. We're always looking out for uh, new ideas to put onto Farringdon Radio Show, so if there are other, any other writers out there, like to come forward with their uh, pieces of writing, poetry, or short stories, or a full story if they're willing to abridge it, or come and do a sit for hours recording the show. If it's going to be a full novel, uh, full novel, be quite quite happy to do that if they're available. But anyway, here's our first one, and it's the Sensible Folly by Paul Cornell. Farrington didn't have many other follies nearby that it could talk to. There had always been Carfax conduit over at Radley. But all that ornate thing ever went on about was how much it missed being in Oxford, where it had once stood, supplying water to the city, being useful, it said. At the time, Farringdon had found the notion of a folly that wanted to be useful a bit silly. The whole point of follies, it had been told from its earliest days, was not to have a point. That was something the other follies were very stern about. But it had put up with Carfax Conduit's tutting, because at least it was conversation, and because Farringdon had also been raised to be a kind folly. Farringdon had only been around since 1935, which sounds a long time to us little temporary things, but to the older landscape features, it was like Farringdon had appeared just a moment ago. Farringdon was the last folly to be built in Britain, and from the moment its ribbon had been cut and little temporary things had started to walk around inside it, the other follies had made sure it knew that. The Lansdowne Monument on the Cheryl Downs, for instance, had been forever telling Farringdon important things it didn't need to know, like how to make the right creaks and groans to get the little temporary things to start fixing one's cracks. It wasn't even as if Lansdowne itself was that old. Its ribbon had only been cut in 1845. It said that it might once have had a point, but had taken care to forget it almost immediately. Farringdon thought, then, that was probably why it went on so much, because the other follies had given it just such unwanted advice when it started out, and now it wanted to do it too. Barrington Park insisted that it was a Gothic temple, which it said proudly was nothing real at all, and was only from the 18th century. Siddington Round Tower was actually Victorian, but looked and acted medieval and boasted never to have had a useful thought in its life. The newer features of interest nearby, beneath the notice of most follies, hadn't been much more exciting as potential friends. To the north stood a great chimney, Smoky Joe, which didn't often say anything, but would sometimes make long, rumbling sighs. 
The cooling towers of Didcot Power Station whispered only to each other, still not quite at home in the landscape, glad they hadn't come here alone. The phone towers at Wooden Under Edge and Stokenchurch, the TV mast at Beckley, and the radio tower at Sparshalt Downs sang all the time millions of precise operatic doodles, songs of the little temporary things, the sheer amount of which made Farringdon give up listening, and the wind turbines to the west panted with their effort. Whoop, whoop, whoop. But there had always been one thing in the Vale of the White Horse that made everything else feel young. So much so that the landscape was named after it. The White Horse at Uffington only woke occasionally. The last time had been when the wind turbines had just started their panting and it had blinked awake at the new noise, its wild line suddenly, like lightning, at the centre of what every folly and feature heard and thought. It had spoken serious words then, about how the chasms it lay beside were a sign of how everything changed, at the pace of the thoughts of a landscape, beyond the thinking of the little temporary things, about how the veil had once been under ice and could be so again, about how the world needed saving. And then it had gone back to sleep, and the little temporary things hadn't heard or noticed, and the follies had considered for a time, and then talked on. The little temporary things that took to the sky, that made lines up there far too quickly, used Smoky Joe as a landmark and whizzed around it, in a way that had made Farringdon ache with wishing, because ever since it had been created, there had been something that Farringdon had missed. Farringdon had water underneath it, a great reservoir of it, and it liked the feel of that. And it had earth, of course, the hill it had been placed on top of, because the little temporary things thought such hills needed follies. And it had fire every year, as the little temporary things built bonfires and splashed coloured light everywhere, and the tiniest ones stood around Farringdon's feet, waving fire in their hands, which Farringdon liked very much. But what it didn't have back then, what it missed, was air. Farringdon was almost concealed by the trees around it. On its own, it could not be seen from a long distance like other follies were. It had not been able to look out over a landscape and have that landscape say hello, as thousands of the little temporary things looked up at it. Sometimes Farringdon had felt hidden, shunned, like it had done something wrong. It had never believed that this was what its creator had intended. Follies found it hard to understand most of the little temporary things, but they felt different about the ones who had cut their ribbons and brought them into the world. Farringdon's creator had been special even by those standards, as Farringdon had come to realise by how other follies talked about those that had built them. Even the creator's friends had been different enough for any folly to notice. The creator's visitors had included one with a huge moustache, who'd said he wanted to paint Farringdon, but never had. He had once called out to Farringdon to watch him, which had startled Farringdon, as the little temporary things tended not to talk to landscape features. So much so that, when it does happen, a folly immediately pays attention 
to whatever little temporary thing has seen fit to engage it in conversation. The one with the moustache, it turned out, standing as he was in the little town at the foot of the hill, wanted Farrington as an audience. He put on a huge brass helmet and had marched across the marketplace of the little town in a diving suit with enormous weights on his feet, making motions like he was pushing his way through water. It was brilliantly pointless. Farringdon remembered that guest of his creator like he'd been a folly himself. He hadn't been little or temporary. In its memories, Farringdon could still see the creator himself. In his long coat, a dove he'd dyed pink sitting on his left shoulder, at the moment of the folly's creation, grinning as the ribbon fell away, the big gold scissors in his hands. He'd said some words to a small crowd, and then had hugged Farringdon, and whispered to it that he was sorry about the saplings all around, that would soon become trees and cut off the folly from the sky. He had had to compromise, he said. Farringdon could tell from his voice that he'd hated to do that. Perhaps that was why Farringdon was the last of its kind, because as more and more of the little temporary things filled up their world, they had to make more and more compromises. Especially if the white horse was to be believed, they all might have less room in the future. After the trees had grown, Farringdon had still just about been able to see over the tops of them, and having consulted with those who'd made follies of old, the creator had left clear avenues so it could see the horizon. If it hadn't been able to, the folly might well have gone mad, like the ruins whose frightening cries could be heard across the vale at night. The trouble, always the trouble, had been that there was something between it and the bulk of the sky, that it had felt as if there wasn't the connection there that there should have been. Then, one year, at the time when the world swung into more darkness than light, one of the little temporary things had started to do something new inside Farringdon's tower. He brought that temporary form of earth called glass, and the part of earth called metal, and the fire called electricity. He put his hands together inside Farringdon, and a moment later, an expression of light had shot out of Farringdon, reaching out towards the horizon. And just as Farringdon was feeling the first slow yell of delight, the light turned and reached out in another direction, and another, and another. Farringdon had exulted in the darkness. For the first time, it was talking to the landscape, and the landscape was talking back. It could feel it. All the little temporary things moving along their lines on the ground, seeing the light ahead and thinking they were coming home, or missing home, or wondering. But Farringdon, having been so excited, had despaired when the world had swung again and the little temporary thing had moved his hands apart and the connection stopped. But a folly moment later, as the world swung back again, there he was again, and he'd brought a new light, a different one, and then that was good for a while, and then gone for a while. It had kept happening. Every time there was more dark than light, Farringdon would gain a light inside it and speak across the veil. At first, it had made Farringdon proud of being new, 
Now it could talk to its landscape better than anything older could. But soon the folly had realised that the light made the older follies even less likely to respect it. Farringdon now had even more newness about it. There was, Lansdowne said, something rather too flashy about it. When Farringdon had protested, the others had taken it as proof that Farringdon had now become less than a folly. Obviously, the little temporary things needed the light for something. Farringdon had stopped being pointless and become a mere building, something there for the use of the little temporary things. Barrington became a little terse with it. Siddington stopped speaking to it entirely. Farringdon had regretted then that it had ever thought of Carfax conduit as silly and had made sure to talk more with it. It had found they both needed the company. So, the next time the little temporary thing with the earth and fire came to see it, Farringdon wasn't looking forward to having the light again. Now the light would make it feel different and vulnerable. The man had put his earth and fire together again, as always. But then, after his work was done, and before he made the light shine out, he'd sat down and he actually spoke to Farringdon. The first little temporary thing to do so since the time of the Creator. He'd said to Farringdon that it was now a member of something called the General Lighthouse Authority. Farringdon had wanted to ask what a lighthouse was, but while it was allowed for the little temporary things, on the rare occasions when they did, to speak to Follies, it was unheard of for Follies to speak back. But still, the little temporary thing answered the question without being prompted. He said that lighthouses were useful buildings that stood by water and warned little temporary things of harm. Farringdon had despaired again at those words. A building, useful. But then it had heard, in the way it did, with words carried by association rather than by sound, strange calls in the distance. It had started to hear them more clearly, Strong, confident hails from all around the horizon, from far away, from those with sideways beams of light that reached out the same way its own did. It could see them in its imagination, the imagination of a folly, which could reach out to encompass the whole country like a map. It had realised these must be the voices of lighthouses. And they were welcoming Farringdon to their number. But there was something else. They sounded friendly, but Farringdon had suddenly realised. They were laughing. You're useless as a lighthouse, of course, the little temporary thing had said then, with a smile on his face. So it's all completely pointless. But it's great fun. It's what a folly is for, really. And with that, he'd made the light happen again. So Farringdon could start to laugh excitedly back to its new friends. After that, Farringdon never again felt like it had done something wrong, and it also stopped feeling that it was a bad thing it was so young. From its new friends near water, it learned many things about how much space and time the little temporary things had left in their world, 
and so it encouraged the wind turbines in their work. And that made it realise that, though it had been looked down on for being a building, it wasn't looking down on buildings now. Not Carfax conduit, or the wind turbines going whoop, 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 or even Siddington Round Tower, which was, actually, though it tried to deny it, being made into a house. Farringdon Folly was earth connected to the air, and it was young and old at once. But above all, it was content that it was meaningfully pointless, which, it thought, would have made its creator, and the man with the moustache, proud. Witness this.